Greetings, everyone. I'm Vicki Basilica, Director of the Clinical Specialists and Scientists here at ASHP, and thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional programming from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting that focuses on the best practices, actionable steps that you can use in your practice to make meaningful changes towards a more equitable, diverse, and inclusive team and organization. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. I will discuss racial and ethnic disparities within our profession. This slide shows a breakdown of demographic data from the National Pharmacist Workforce Report. As you can see, white pharmacists make up a large proportion of pharmacists in the workforce at 86.5% in 2009, down to 78.2% in 2019. Other races, including Asians, Black, and others, make up a much smaller proportion of pharmacists in the workforce. We do see increases in the number of Asians, Black pharmacists, and other races, and those other races include American Indian, Hispanic, Latinx, as well as others. If we look even further into this data from the National Pharmacist Workforce, we can see that the proportion of white pharmacists are significantly higher than most other races. Certain groups are more represented than others within pharmacy. And while we do see a large increase in the number of pharmacists over time, for instance, from the year 2009 up until 2019, we still see that there is an underrepresentation of non-white pharmacists. With this slide, looking at the Massachusetts pharmacist workforce, we see some similar trends to what I've seen with the national data. We see certain groups being more represented than others, including white non-Hispanic pharmacists, as well as Asian non-Hispanic pharmacists comprising the largest proportion of pharmacists within the state. So you might see that Asian Americans make up 17 0.7% of pharmacists in Massachusetts, while only comprising of 5.7% of the population. And we do see again that Massachusetts population and the pharmacists are majority or predominantly white non-Hispanic. This slide shows that there is indeed an underrepresentation of certain groups of pharmacists, including Black and Hispanic and Latino. To illustrate this, the underrepresentation further, we see in this slide languages commonly spoken in Massachusetts. Probably the most commonly spoken languages include Spanish as well as Vietnamese. And we see that 8.3% of individuals in Massachusetts households are fluent in this language in Spanish. But for the Massachusetts pharmacists who are fluent in Spanish, only 4% of pharmacists carry Spanish-speaking proficiency showing another opportunity for uh, greater representation for this group of pharmacists, the Spanish-speaking pharmacists within the state. We discussed the discrimination faced among U.S. pharmacists. Demonstrated in both this graphic and this table, the most common basis of discrimination reported for men was age, and for the female participants of the survey, gender was the most common form of discrimination reported. Other forms of discrimination are reported on the slide. They include race or ethnicity, marital status, religion, disability, sexual orientation, military status, domestic partner status, and other.
and the demographics among pharmacy degree holders. We see that certain groups have been underrepresented within the pharmacy field from the 1980s, and not much has changed up until this 2019 data. We see that whites and Asians are overrepresented within the pharmacy field, whereas other races, including Black, African-American, Hispanic or Latino, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, American Indian, or Alaskan Native, as well as others, remain underrepresented for decades now. In this table, we take a further look at the breakdown of nationality or race or ethnicity of our pharmacy students. And when we look at all PharmD programs, we see white pharmacy students comprising most of the pharmacy students within education today at 48%. We also see a smaller proportion of Black, Hispanic, and Asian pharmacists within our nation. Compare this to what is seen with the historically Black colleges and universities, where Black pharmacy students make up 56% or the vast majority of students. We do also see representation of Asian students in this cohort of pharmacy students nationwide, making up 18.3%. And within the top 10 PharmD programs, we see similar numbers to what was reflected in all PharmD programs. So we say all of this to say that trends noticed within the pharmacy workforce and trends noticed within PharmD programs are somewhat similar, where we have certain groups overrepresented and certain groups underrepresented. This slide simply highlights the opportunity for growth to increase the number of Black Hispanic pharmacists within residency programs and post-PharmD fellowships, and the same also with Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander, as well as Alaskan Native and Alaskan Indian pharmacists who are in the postgraduate training program. In this slide, we discuss themes expressed by underrepresented minority pharmacy students. And in this article published in the American Journal of Pharmaceutical Education, we see that the surveyed underrepresented minority students have similar experiences pre-pharmacy school, and these include a participation in a specific pipeline program, maybe a program that's meant to advocate and increase access for one group of individuals to pursue education and uh, another. So when talking about themes for underrepresented minority pharmacy students, similar themes were seen pre-pharmacy school which include participation in a pipeline program that might afford them access to schools or opportunities or experiences that may not have been there traditionally. We also see that the students who were involved in this survey, many of them worked or volunteered in a healthcare environment. Within pharmacy school, we see more trends documented or more themes that were seen amongst pharmacy students who identified as underrepresented minorities. This includes a discomfort among faculty and students in engaging in cultural and diversity related discussions, an onus on students to seek cultural competency instruction and challenging group or work experiences such as feeling silenced, isolated or dismissed and last lack of sense of belonging. Some actions that may be taken to mitigate some of these failings might include code switching or intentionally changing one's dialect or language 
to better acclimate to a certain group. Students might find solace or support with other faculty that identify as underrepresented minorities. Students might supplement didactic curriculum with cultural competent specific co-curricular experiences. And we also see an involvement in student affinity groups, whether that might be the Black Student Union, the Latin Student Union, or other groups. It was also seen that students may intentionally bridge connections with non-underrepresented minority students and strategically select battles during group work. So various intrinsic factors may influence inclusivity for underrepresented groups in an academic setting. Seeing or interacting with faculty that might look like them or represent or identify as underrepresented groups has been seen as a positive or an intrinsic motivator for uh, the students surveyed. Having a sense of purpose and serving the underserved was considered a responsibility, almost like an unwritten rule or expectation for some of these pharmacy students within this survey. Several intrinsic inhibitors also exist, and that includes the psychological impact of social and political events. Um, 2020 was a very impactful time within our nation with instances of discrimination, civil unrest, and some things that were really just hard to see. Other intrinsic inhibitors include pressures of being a representative of their race, also known as tokenism. And interestingly, what was seen for both as an intrinsic motivator and intrinsic inhibitor was the motivation to work twice as hard and to be twice as good to show that I belong. When we look at pharmacy technician demographics, we see more racial diversity compared to the pharmacists. We also see that a majority of pharmacy technicians are predominantly women at 77.2%. But more concerningly, I believe we see within this pharmacy staffing survey results from 2013, the average turnover rate for pharmacy technicians was 14.4%, which is significantly higher or much higher when compared to the pharmacist rate, which was 5.6%. This may point to an opportunity to increase job satisfaction for pharmacy technicians. 2015 National Certified Pharmacy Technician Workforce Study showed moderate levels of job satisfaction and commitment and somewhat high stress levels. SHP in 2019 looked at this and also saw that there is a critical need for certificate training for pharmacy technicians. National certification provides opportunities for career advancement and literature reports um, higher job satisfaction associated with these opportunities. One of my colleagues will be going further into detail about the opportunities for growth and for increased satisfaction with pharmacy technician career ladders. And also we will discuss opportunities to specialize within the pharmacy technician field. Next, frontline staff engagement will be discussed. Boston Medical Center is an urban academic medical center located in the heart of Boston, Massachusetts. It serves as the largest safety net hospital in the New England area. Our DEI efforts is the thread that connects our community together and our core value being many faces create our greatness, embraces the melting pot of colors we all proudly represent. To support our commitment to DEI efforts at BMC, I'd like to highlight frontline staff engagement opportunities. 
The first opportunity I'd like to discuss is a cultural and support model leadership training experience that is offered at BMC. As part of developing a system-wide DEI strategy within BMC, focus groups were formed to get better insight. One of the key takeaways was how leadership roles play a huge part in ensuring inclusive and thriving team environments. This led to the development of a cultural and support model leadership training experience for managers and leaders to increase awareness around implicit bias, as well as microaggressions and techniques on how to address them. These training sessions were initially in person and then shifted to a virtual platform and cover topics in cross-cultural communication, health equity, stereotypes, dimensions of diversity, as well as micro inequalities. To date, more than 900 leaders from across the BMC health system have completed this training, giving it an overall rating of 4.6 out of 5 points for overall engagement, as well as efficacy. 89% of participants agreed or strongly agreed that they are more aware of implicit bias, and 90% agreed or strongly agreed that they are more aware of strategies to better address these biases following the training. The next phase of this training session do include preparing team members to serve as certified facilitators to provide ongoing training for newly hired as well as promoted staff across the health system. The next frontline staff engagement opportunity we will discuss is BMC's culture code. When developing the DEI strategy, intentional efforts were made to ensure that a values-based, action-oriented approach remained at its core. Empower and enable everyday action was selected as the first strategic imperative with the understanding that unlocking the power of personal accountability is the largest driver of collective progress. To help increase awareness, an interdisciplinary advisory team created the BMC Culture Code, which contains DEI concepts into five actionable elements, which are first, see the other person, stop meaning set aside assumptions and snap judgments. Two, missteps happen, so can growth. To be your best self at work requires courageous self-awareness. Three, find your superpower and appreciate the superpower of others because our differences add value. Four, make it a five-star hello. Being active and genuine engagement begins with how we acknowledge each other. And lastly, we stand together. How we show up for each other matters. Your choices and interactions can leave a lasting impression and reflects on you and BMC as a whole. The last frontline staff engagement opportunity I'll be reviewing is the All-In Initiative, which was developed by the pharmacy-based All-In Committee, which myself, along with the other speakers, are honored to be actively a part of. The All-In Initiative was created by the Pharmacy Department to further promote DEI efforts in the field of pharmacy. A committee was founded by the BMC Pharmacy Leadership and Clinical Pharmacists as the group recognized that diverse provider demographics across all healthcare disciplines is key to providing the highest quality of care. And with that, the efforts by the committee strive to ensure that all backgrounds of all colors are adequately represented in pharmacy practice. Pictured is the current All-In Committee of Pharmacy Leadership and Clinical Pharmacists, and I thankfully had the opportunity to join the committee as a BMC PGY2 Pharmacy resident. Each year, the incoming BMC Pharmacy residents, both the PGY2, PGY1, and PGY2 level, have the opportunity to join and be involved. To work towards the goal of striving to ensure that all backgrounds are adequately represented, the committee founded the All-In Scholarship which was created for underrepresented minority pharmacy students to complete advanced pharmacy practice experiential rotations at BMC. The scholarship provides a stipend of $10,000 for cost of living expenses during the rotation. The rotation experience is uniquely designed to the student's interest and future career aspirations. It includes two six-week or three four-week rotations within any of the listed clinical care areas. 
Outside of the rotation experience, the scholarship recipient is partnered with a longitudinal mentor who is also an underrepresented minority from the All-In Mentorship Program to facilitate personal growth, professional growth, as well as provide a support system. Here includes the eligibility criteria and requirements the scholarship contained. A prospective student had to be actively attending in an accredited pharmacy school, be based outside of the New England area. This limitation was because BMC already offers ample amount of rotation opportunities for pharmacy students across the New England area. And lastly, must self-identify as an underrepresented minority in pharmacy. For requirements, the scholarship candidates were to complete the provided application form, submit a CV, letter of intent, as well as a copy of their school transcript. Upon initiation of the All-In Scholarship, targeted outreach was conducted with the schools of pharmacy at historically Black colleges and universities to promote BMC. With virtual opportunities as well as social media engagement, the committee was able to participate in multiple showcases to highlight the scholarship to pharmacy students. The committee's proactiveness was an immense success. The All-In Scholarship received 39 applicants from 16 schools of pharmacy across the country. This slide displays how the applicants did self-identify, and there were a prominent number of Black African-American candidates that applied. Their choices were two or more races, Native American or American Indian, Filipino, Asian, Hispanic, Latino, or Black and African-American. Of the 39 applicants, eight candidates were offered a virtual interview. With such a strong application pool, each with their own story that embraced involvement in DEI efforts, a single candidate could not be chosen. Therefore, the All-In Committee was extremely, extremely honored to have been fortunate enough to be able to offer two full scholarships to two of the candidates. I would like to highlight the committee also offered all of the candidates that were not awarded the scholarship the opportunity to still complete a clinical rotation at BMC separate from the scholarship and three candidates in addition to our two scholarship recipients did choose to do so. In addition to the scholarships, the All-In Committee created a DEI survey to allow the pharmacy department, both pharmacists as well as technicians, to voice current barriers faced anonymously. The survey consisted of two questions, the first being a yes or no question, have you ever experienced a microaggression at work? And the second being a free response question, stating if you had selected yes, please describe the instance that you experienced or heard. The results of the survey revealed that BMC staff did still experience microaggressions at work, and then the most common being gender bias and racial ethnicity bias. The feedback from the survey allowed for the committee to allow apply themes as well as feedback raised to organize DEI training for the pharmacy department. Also, these efforts were targeted to revamp pharmacy residency questions and for interviews, as well as add a DEI interview question for all newly hired pharmacist candidates to reflect on during their interview process. As mentioned briefly earlier, the All-In Committee organized team-based cultural competency trainings for the pharmacy department. With integral push for more minority representation, the committee wanted to ensure that the department is culturally competent to support this effort. So when we bring in our two scholarship recipients, that the department as a whole is strong enough and competent to support this effort. The pharmacy department outsourced a DEI specialist to organize and lead trainings virtually. So far, four training sessions have been offered, each 90 minutes long. The teaching curriculum covers a wide spectrum of topics that aim to target intentional and or unintentional behaviors that communicate negative attitude towards stigmatized or culturally marginalized ethnic groups. And next, my colleague Natalia Farrell will be discussing about mentorship opportunities. Thank you. Thank you, Monique. Mentorship is highly influential to an individual's professional and personal development. It can play a key role in an individual's career pursuit, 
goals and aspirations. According to a survey of pharmacy students, 50% of pharmacy students that are Black, Indigenous, and people of color have reported a lack of mentorship as a major barrier to pursuing pharmacy education. Mentorship is the practice of providing support and guidance to someone who is typically more junior or less experienced in the profession. This is most often a longer commitment and constantly changing to meet the evolving needs of the person being mentored. Common themes for characteristics describing mentors include knowledgeable, experienced, resilient, compassionate, advocate for self-care, inspiring confidence, and actively taking interest in developing others. Mentors are also described as being voracious learners. As much as they teach the mentee, the mentee also teaches the mentor. Mentor-mentee pairings can occur at all different levels. While I do want to point out that not all preceptors or faculty are mentors and vice versa, mentorship can evolve from the initial role as preceptor or professor. For example, a P3 pharmacy student can help mentor a P1 pharmacy student by serving as a resource for coursework, tutoring, organization involvement, and adjusting to the rigors of university. In another example, PGY-1 or PGY-2 pharmacy residents may look to a preceptor as a mentor in which they actively seek out for career guidance, professional development opportunities, and advice on work-life balance. In a last example, a more senior pharmacist or pharmacy technician can mentor more junior technicians in further developing their clinical or operational skill sets in order to be ready for more specialized positions in the future. Both the ASHP Women in Pharmacy Leadership Steering Committee and Task Force on Racial Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion emphasize the importance of mentorship and the importance of developing mentorship programs. While mentorship is important across all phases of a career, early mentorship can be important to increasing diversity within pharmacy schools. Increasing diversity within pharmacy schools can increase representation within training programs, pharmacy departments, and pharmacy leadership positions. This cascade helps to inspire and foster the next generation of pharmacists and pharmacy technician leaders. In order to promote diversity within pharmacy schools, we need to reach more learners before they enter university. Local outreach to high school students can raise awareness about careers in pharmacy and inspire students to pursue them. Many of us have friends or family members that don't truly understand what it means to be a pharmacist or a pharmacy technician. We need to change the narrative and perception in order to generate interest in the pharmacy profession. Students may also be engaged in training opportunities through shadowing experiences, vocational programs, or pre-pharmacy curriculum programs. These type of experiences expose students to the vast amount of opportunities within the pharmacy profession, from careers in pediatrics, to informatics, to drug information, to critical care, to purchasing, to oncology, to operations, and many more. Learning more from the students themselves on barriers to pursuing careers in pharmacy can help us identify interventions and next steps. Next, I wanna highlight two high school outreach programs overseen by two schools of pharmacy from different regions in the country. In this first example, the University of Illinois at Chicago College of Pharmacy developed the Pathways to Pharmacy program. This is an immersive six week long program that exposes urban underrepresented minority high school students to pharmacy practice. Students undergo pharmacy curriculum education, pharmacy technician training and work experience and are provided with support and resources for both professional and personal development. 
Over four years, 120 students have participated in this program, and their interest in pharmacy careers has increased from a baseline of 33% to 75% after completing the Pathways to Pharmacy program. As you can see, firsthand experiences to the different care settings, roles, and responsibilities of pharmacists were most meaningful to the prospective high school students. Students also found that learning about the disease states and medications that impact their communities to be particularly meaningful. I would also like to note that students reported that mentorship by faculty and pharmacists to also be very meaningful. As programs are developed, it's also important to assess if they're having their intended impact and how they can be further optimized to meet the goals of the program and needs of the students. For example, some students found that faculty lecture content to be too advanced, which made it a less meaningful experience. This feedback can lead to adjustments in presentation content before the next set of learners participate. It also provides insight on potential barriers, such as transportation. Next, I want to highlight University of North Carolina's Young Innovators Program. This was an eight-week non-residential paid summer internship with a focus on science, technology, engineering, and mathematics STEM research opportunities related to pharmaceutical science. Students participated in career discussions with a variety of different faculty members, toured biotechnology companies and medical centers, and engaged with the UNC admissions offices. While this program is not exclusive to underrepresented minorities, it did have 37% of its participants identify as an underrepresented minority. Let's next examine the impact of this program on underrepresented minority students. 100% reported that their experience in the Young Innovators Program improved their knowledge in STEM. 89% reported that this experience positively influenced their desire to pursue a career in STEM. As a result of the Young Innovators Program, in recognition, of racial and ethnic disparities within the pharmacy profession, the recommendations from this UNC program to other schools of pharmacy include recommending that pharmacy schools more actively promote the profession to prospective students, recommending that diversity is promoted within the student body, which also includes understanding the unique challenges and barriers that minority students face, equipping staff with the tools to engage in these conversations with students, as well as by forming partnerships with high schools in order to create a pipeline for future pharmacy students. The Pathways to Pharmacy program and Young Innovators program, in addition to other high school outreach programs, have been demonstrated to increase interest in pharmacy, increase diversity in schools of pharmacy, and aid in the student's transition from high school to college. And this is particularly important as many in our underrepresented minority community may be first-time college students within their families. Next, we'll touch base on different activities that can be done with students enrolled in schools of pharmacy. In this example, a residency program partnered their residents with Appy students from a local college of pharmacy. Over the course of many months, pharmacy residents provided education to the students on what are residency programs, how to navigate mid-year, what are the residency application and rank process, and what tips and tricks they can provide for interview days. Additionally, they provided a review of Appy student CVs and letters of intents. As a result of this pairing, residents were more likely to want to pursue additional teaching opportunities, including teaching certificates, class facilitation, 
didactic lectures and primary or co-preceptor abbey preceptor roles. When comparing pre and post survey answers, residents were more likely to feel comfortable in a mentor role, confident in their delivery of subjective content to students, comfortable with providing feedback to students, comfortable providing effective constructive feedback to students, and believe that serving as a student mentor benefits their long-term career goals. While not significant, residents believed both in the pre-survey as well as in the post-survey that the program would have been beneficial to them as an Appy student. As Monique mentioned earlier, at Boston Medical Center, our all-in scholarship recipients do get paired with a pharmacist mentor. Both the student as well as the mentor identify as underrepresented minorities. The mentor and the student meet regularly throughout the 12-week experience to discuss career and personal goals, well-being, and to offer support. Our mentors have also introduced students to some of our local Boston restaurants, sporting events, fall festivities, amongst other activities. When reviewing criteria that residency program directors have weighted favorably in surveys on desired resident attributes, we see opportunities in which mentors can play a key role in helping to build their student mentees, CV, application content, and interview preparation. GPA may factor in, so mentors can recommend earlier engagement with tutors in a learner's academic career, or speak to the learner's ability to overcome the initial academic struggles in a letter of recommendation. Mentors may also encourage the student's pursuit of leadership positions or be able to answer questions on how to be an active, involved member of an organization without formally holding a leadership title. Mentors can serve as a letter of recommendation writer and review student application materials, which includes review of curriculum vitalis, making sure that the students don't leave out pertinent presentations, medication use evaluations, community service, and other variables that residency programs typically will look for. Interview preparation is also key. Mentors can help prepare their mentee for interview common questions, what comprises a good answer, and preparation with specific examples of interventions or overcoming situations to have readily available on the interview day. Within training programs, we can also advocate for the elimination of biases within our application screening and interview processes. For example, historically residency program directors have reported candidates from a school of pharmacy ranked in the top 10 or top 25 programs in the United States to be highly desirable. This puts candidates that attend more racially or ethnically diverse schools at a disadvantage. Howard University is the highest ranked HBCU and it comes in at number 75. And if we recall back to Chris's earlier presentation, we saw that HBCUs had much more diversity within their student body population. There is also no literature in the pharmacy or medical professions that associates school of pharmacy ranking with actual resident performance, which further gives weight to removing college and school of pharmacy ranking from application screening criteria. Using a structured multiple interviewer format increases reliability and reduces bias on interview day. Incorporation of a holistic review that promotes values rather than just academics also promotes greater diversity and inclusion. For example, here at Boston Medical Center, one third of our patient population does not speak English as a first language. 
So something that we value in our candidates are candidates that speak other languages besides English. Next, let's examine opportunities for mentorship within residency programs. Detroit Medical Center has a mentorship program for their PGY-1 and PGY-2 residents. All residents select a mentor by the end of the first quarter. The mentor meets the ASHP requirements for preceptorship. The mentor also cannot be either the residency program director or residency program coordinator. Residents meet at least monthly with their mentor over the academic year. Residents found having a mentor to be beneficial and plan to remain in contact with their mentor after graduation. Furthermore, numerically more residents attained PGY2s or employment by completion of the residency year after the mentorship program was implemented. Mentorship is valuable to residents and helps them achieve their next career goals, which also reflects well upon the residency program. Other literature has also identified that residents believe mentors be valuable in facilitating their leadership growth and achieving residency scholastic project success, particularly publications. Mentorship is not just for students or residents. Our career goals and opportunities continue to change over time. Mentors can help put their mentee on a path to achieve their career goals or help their mentee develop and succeed in a new career, which may be very intimidating at the time. Outside of postgraduate training, mentorship between junior and more senior faculty has been most often described for pharmacists in academia. Discussions with mentors in academia include topics on balancing responsibilities, career planning, didactic and clinical teaching, establishing and maintaining practice sites, and research. The academia model also provides suggestions on how to measure the success of a mentorship program. While things like tenure may, may not be applicable to those in clinical or management positions, it does still provide the framework for evaluation that can be applied to other care settings. Just like our pharmacy students, residents, and pharmacists, pharmacy technicians too can benefit from mentorship. In recent years, there has been an expansion in the number and type of advanced roles for technicians, as well as advanced certifications. This creates a need to develop our technicians to take on these advanced certifications and advanced technician roles within an organization. Investing in our technician workforce also has the benefit of greater job retention within the profession of pharmacy. Certification has additional benefits for technicians as well as the employer, including increased staff engagement, increased job satisfaction, increased confidence, and decreased perceived rates of medication errors, which also benefits our patients. As previously mentioned, there are now several pharmacy technician board certifications. Successful certification for one technician will help inspire others to pursue certification as well as to help mentor colleagues be prepared to take the certification exam. A first step could be to identify technicians who currently have responsibilities that are applicable to the currently available certificates or to identify technicians that are interested in jobs related to those certification programs. A next step could be to partner the technician or technicians with resources and a mentor. Depending on the organization, that mentor may be a pharmacist or a technician who can help motivate, encourage, teach, and prepare the technician to take on that certification. The pharmacy technician career ladder is so much more than just tech one, tech two, and manager level positions, which is very exciting. 
And with these numerous advanced pharmacy technician roles currently are becoming available at many organizations across the country, exposing our staff to these different roles and learning from them what they're most interested in will continue to expand the pharmacy technician career ladder. The technician career advancement ladder may also include asking our staff about if they have ever considered a career as a pharmacist. What barriers are there to pursuing education and training needs to become a pharmacist and how institutions as well as pharmacy organizations can help support technicians looking to make the jump from technician to pharmacist. The technician career advancement ladder may include asking our staff about if they have ever considered a career as a pharmacist, what barriers are there to pursuing the education and training needed to become a pharmacist and how our institutions as well as pharmacy organizations can help support technicians looking to make the jump from technician to pharmacist. Our pharmacy technicians tend to be more diverse than our pharmacists. So turning to our pharmacy technicians to explore opportunities to make the jump from technician to pharmacist could be another strategy to help promote diversity within pharmacy professions. In summary, mentors can help increase mentee confidence, job satisfaction, competency, professional development, academic, and scholastic success. Students, residents, and pharmacists have found mentors to be beneficial. Mentorship plays a major role in changing the current demographics of the profession. Encourage our students, pharmacists, technicians to actively seek out opportunities to mentor others within the profession. It's a way to give back to the profession when so many of us have had mentors that have heavily influenced our own careers. I would like to talk more about microaggressions. And one key thing about microaggressions is while they may or may not be intentional, they can still have harmful or lasting effects. I have a picture displayed of a single paper cut. One person described microaggressions and constantly facing them as death from a thousand paper cuts, which doesn't sound too pleasing or too ideal at all. And the idea is that while it seems benign, these can grow bothersome, tiring, and may even sting a little bit for the individuals experiencing them. And if one gathers enough, it could actually really be harmful. And microaggressions, they come in all different shapes and sizes. And again, they may be innocent sounding. So I have here listed microaggressions that have been experienced by different folks, not only in the pharmacy field, but some common ones. And I'll read a few of them. The, is that your real hair? What sport did you play in college? Are you the student? Where's the pharmacist? You speak really good English. Where are you from? Are you a pharmacist? And what school did you graduate from? With these microaggression examples, some of them, again, seem very mild and innocent in nature, but its impact can differ greatly from words on a text to an actual conversation where the person witnessing or experiencing the microaggression can see the tones involved, can see subtle cues or verbal or physical language that comes along with it. I say all of this to say, again, that not everybody who commits a microaggression has ill intent, but it's a case where you sometimes think of impact versus intent. Here are some options for addressing microaggressions using the open the front door framework developed by 
Souza and colleagues at Humboldt University, also associated with the Learning Forum. And with this framework, it involves four steps in which an individual as a bystander or as somebody hoping to address this microaggression observes. They describe clearly and succinctly what it is you see happening. And then the second step to think. So state what you think about it. Pretty simple. And the third is the feel. So you express your feelings about the situation. And D, the desire. You assert what you would like to see happen in the future. Here is another framework for addressing microaggressions where we take action. And the steps below provide an, an alternative framework, a little different from the open the front door. And it begins by asking a question. And this question comes from a place of curiosity, not judgment. And on the slide are sample scripts of how you might ask that. One particular question that I find myself asking even before the action framework was just, can you help me understand what you meant by that? And I really like this. It's not aggressive, but it goes back to that childlike curiosity that we spoke about, which is key because we don't know, we are not mind readers and we don't know what exactly somebody meant by what they said or what they did. So it's important to seek clarity or understanding in cases where you are unsure. T, tell an observation. Simple, I noticed that. And I is the impact exploration. And this is where you would request that somebody really think and you almost turn it back around. And you might ask, what impact do you think that comment could have on such and such group? This is a great question. I know we have a lot of preceptors um, here. Feel free to borrow any of this language. Always for own your own thoughts and feelings regarding impact. So when I hear your comment, I think or I feel because everyone's feelings are valid to them. N is for the next step. So request appropriate actions are taken. And we have listed on the slide, I'd appreciate it if you consider or in the future, please consider the action framework is just another option for responding to microaggressions. Now, here are some practical tips for dealing with microaggressions. You want to be considerate and you want to seek understanding. And it's really important to correct with compassion. Again, with microaggressions, that's not the fact that somebody meant to harm a person, but it's impact versus intent. And I guarantee that each and every one of us has made a mistake in the past. There's no such thing as being perfect, and we will probably continue to make mistakes, but that's okay. I think what's really important, no matter what setting you are in, to set boundaries. So address what type of language or what types of thoughts will be tolerated and what won't be or express your preference for how you prefer to be addressed. And also ultimately give grace, practice self-care. And with these last two tips, these are more personal tips for because you may or not have been the one who has been faced with the microaggression. And while again, these can have impacts like those many paper cuts we spoke about. I think it's important for us to be mindful again that not everybody knows what exactly we've experienced. They don't always know what our traumas are, but I would say keeping yourself in the right frame of mind and being curious 
and setting up your own boundaries for a healthy you is so important for again whatever environment you're in and i really love this maya angelo quote that i take with me wherever i go and that's i've learned that people will forget what you said people will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel so treat each other with empathy and respect please and thank you pharmacist john allen and others provided 10 recommendations to increase Black representation within pharmacy organization leadership. And while in this article published in the American Journal of Health System Pharmacies, while it discusses Black representation, some of the methods and strategies discussed can apply to different marginalized groups as well. The first, one of the first steps or one of the first strategies mentioned was defining what diversity means with goals and metrics. This might allow one to track progress and really take action and hold a group or a system accountable for changing such metrics, make it a clear target. The second recommendation is to collect race and ethnicity data from membership. So thinking back to some of those national pharmacy workforce reports that we discussed, having the numbers there is also extremely helpful and valuable. And thirdly, identify, celebrate, and learn about internal and external best practices of successful diversity, equity, inclusion efforts. Some of these best practices were discussed previously by my colleagues, Monique and Natalia. Number four is self-directed education of leaders about the history of systemic racism and its effect on historically marginalized populations. So there's a plethora of literature that's available out there online, and we have some listed for you in our supplemental handout. Number five, be a vocal advocate for underrepresented groups. And we move on to six, which is create an equitable and inclusive environment at all levels of the organization. It is absolutely imperative to see representation. One cannot overstate or one cannot understate whichever way you want to look at it it's just extremely valuable to walk into an area and see yourself reflected in all groups within that area and know that there is opportunity for change and advancement which leads perfectly into number seven which is create clear paths to leadership for organizations at all levels with mentorship as natalia mentioned and number eight we're hopeful that opportunities would be provided to expand financial support towards the education of underrepresented minorities. And going into number nine, support the work of historically Black colleges and universities who have already made it a mission to increase that representation in the national workforce in the first place. But last but not least, we want to collaborate with other minority health organizations. Pivotal questions that I want you to take back to your institution. Ask yourself, in what ways does your institution perform the following? Promote cultural competence, recognize and or celebrate underrepresented groups. Do groups who are from a marginalized population or an underrepresented group feel welcome? Provide clear opportunities and does your institution provide clear opportunities for growth and continued development for all pharmacy staff feel free to reflect on this and challenge this 
So other questions that we can consider in our path towards a more inclusive workspace might include the following. It's really important to consider how do we start? How do we take these first steps? And ask yourself that very question. The other important question is asking yourself, how would you define your culture? We think of the All In Committee, and it started with a very honest and open look at data trends that we've seen, and also a look at the culture. So you want to consider what is your data, what is your trends, and what is your culture saying? You also want to think about whether or not you've sought buy-in from other members in the department, from champions, from stakeholders, because they're going to play a big role in this push towards a more inclusive workforce too. We want to ask ourselves what resources are available. And some of these more active and ongoing steps is how can you engage more frontline staff? Where are the opportunities to establish a pipeline program long-term that can really evoke systematic change? And last but not least, a very important question, do you want to ask yourself, are you and your team committed? The issues that we face weren't built overnight. It's going to take a great effort to reverse some of the inertia in in any situation, talk more of situations that have been ongoing for years and years or centuries. I want to leave you with this quote from James Baldwin, author, thinker, speaker, change agent. He said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. So once again, challenging you to take a really genuine look at what you have going on individually, what's going on at your organization, what's going on in the world, and think about how you can make a difference, whether that's how you advocate for one another, whether that's how you give grace, whether that's forgiving yourself for transgression, and how are you challenging yourself to just make a change? Thanks so much for listening into today's episode. For more resources on incorporating diversity, equity, and inclusion into your practice, visit ashb.org backslash DEI. Be sure to follow us at ASHB Official wherever you listen to podcasts. And check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2021 Major Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Vicki Basilica from ASHB Official, and thanks for listening in.